want to welcome you all. I guess now we got everybody's attention. Perfect. Anyway, um, let's open with the word of prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you so much for all of your many blessings. And everyone that's here today, Lord, I just pray for your blessing upon them. And uh, pray for your blessing upon the service. Amen. So, for those of, the, the, of you that uh, aren't aware of it, Valentine's Day is Tuesday. So, I'll just give you that warning. But um, anyway, with that, kind of, you know, you go into any store right now, and what do you see? Love, love, love everywhere. But uh, if anybody hasn't noticed that either, that uh, the world's definition for love is a little bit different than, uh, than what the Bible has to say about it. So I just kind of want to talk a little bit about that this morning of what, it, what is love? What does the Bible have to say about love? Um, what does love look like? How are we to love? So, anyway, um, i got a few different verses I want to kind of jump around on. The first one uh, being uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And verses 4 through 7. Okay, there we are. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So that's kind of what, I mean... I know there's a lot of bi verses in the Bible about love, but, and I know there's many different, um, I guess, versions, or not necessarily versions, but de descriptions of love, the different kinds of love in the Bible, but I kind of want to just hit it kind of as a broad, you know, what, what is love in a nutshell? Um, so that's kind of what I had for what love is, and then I want to jump to John... 13, 34, and 35. So verse 34 says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So right there, God or Jesus is putting, I give you a new commandment. To love as I have loved. And, uh, you know, we all may think we do, we're doing okay on love until uh, Jesus tells us to uh, love as he has loved. I mean, his whole life here on earth was, I mean, self-sacrifice of, he was living his life fully for others, not for himself at all. It was for his father, it was for us. And uh, setting that example for us. And so then uh, I want to go to 1 John 4, uh, 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world 
so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we do not love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Pretty, pretty clear and hits hard there of how, how we are to love. We're supposed to love as Christ has loved us. But then also with that, we can have the confidence that if we are in Christ, he will teach us how to love, and um, his love will um, be brought to, I like this, um, back on verse 11, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And that we can have that confidence that he will, he will give us the love that we need to pass on. And then... Um, wanted to go to Romans 8, verses 38, verse 38, 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears of today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Kind of to help put that in perspective on how much God loves us is mind-blowing, to say the least. And then also that he then calls us to love as he has loved. And the um, only way we can do that is through, through him and his help. And then um, I wanted to close with uh, 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth 
by our actions. So just a challenge or encouragement to, um, to try and put into action Christ's love and not just put it into words, but to truly live our lives as Christ has uh, called us to show and live our lives. So anyway, I want to invite the, everybody to stand and um, I'll have the worship team come up and I will uh, pray for the worship team. Lord, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for your many blessings. I just want to thank you for your love, your love that endures through everything, Lord. And I just pray that you would uh, be with the worship time. Bless our time. Amen. Good morning. Um, thank you, Caleb, for your opening and for talking about God's love, because we're going to sing about God's love now. So um, I'm excited for you guys to join us. Sing of your love. 
Romans 8, verses 38 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we faith death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay, you've set my feet upon the rock, and now I Storm. 
The seven seas of history is what we've been going through, and we keep playing that over and over because we want to remember it. We want to remember it. And I'm sorry for those of you that are sympathy criers, but I may end up crying up here today. <sighs> sorry, Adassa. <laughs> we got to go see my grandpa this week. And I was reminded why we go through these things. Over and over and over again. And why we sing songs like, little songs like this, the seven seas. Why do we do it? 
because we take it in. We remember it. The kids are learning down there about Bible stories, things that happened, true events from the Bible. My grandpa is doing about as well as you could expect. He's got our dementia, and he sleeps a lot. When he does wake up, uh, sometimes he makes sense, and sometimes he doesn't. There's one thing. There's one thing he still knows how to do. He knows how to pray. And you can't really go visit him and not have him pray for you. Because it's something he's done so many times. Over and over and over and over that it just comes out. We sang a song that says, I will sing of your love forever. I don't know where grandpa's mind is all the time, but I know what's in there. And what's in there is the love of God. Because he preached it, he practiced it, he lived it, and even today, when he can't really remember what's going on, he still knows the truth. It's amazing to me, but it's also a reminder to me of why we do these things again and again and again and again, because when I get to the point where I can't remember anything, but if that's the only thing I can remember is the truth and the word of God, that's what I would like it to be. Where are we in that spot? How are we doing? How are we doing learning these things? And it's not that you have to take it and memorize it in a week. It's a lifetime. It's 85 years of putting that in and putting it in and putting that in. My grandpa was not perfect. He still gets upset because he wakes up, and every time he wakes up, it's a new day. And he thinks it's time to eat breakfast again sometimes. But he put these things in for years and years and years. How are we doing? It was just a very real reminder to me why we do it with our kids, but not only with our kids, but for us. Read it. Sing it. Live it. Be who God wants us to be. It was good to see Grandpa again. He sleeps quite a bit. He told me, I'd, I've never been able to sleep so much in my life. So again, there's times where he knew what he was talking about, and there's other times where it was not. But that's okay. Because he knows what's right. He knows what's real. And he knows what's true. And I praise the Lord for that. And I hope that I can continue to put in by reading and by praying and by singing to my life. So when I get to that point, that's what comes out. It can't help but come out. Because right now, it can't help but come out of my grandpa's life. He can't help it. That's who he is, that's who he's been, and that's going to, who he's going to be until he dies. I have been <clears throat> struggling this week to know where we're going in chapter 10. I don't know if you read this one, but I, um, I, I, 
I got to talk to my grandpa just a little bit, and there was times where I know that he knew, and I told him where I was at, and he said, oh. I said, there's a lot of names. Yeah, there's a lot of names there. I said, I thought about having somebody, uh, about picking somebody to read it, and he said, well, just ask for a volunteer. And I said, yeah, I don't know if we'd have any takers on that. It's full of names, but we're going to read it anyways because it's in Scripture. It's there. It's, there's a reason for it. It's important. We're going to see what we can get out of it. So instead of putting... The verses on the board this morning, I'm going to put a, a map so that you can follow as we're reading names, you can see where they may have been placed. So your Bible, if you have your Bible and you want to read or you just want to look at that, that's fine. Genesis chapter 10, there is not any chance I'm splitting this into two parts, so we're going to read the whole thing. And I'm just going to say ahead of time, I'm not making any promises on these names and how they're pronounced, so don't take my word for it because I don't really know on some of them. They're kind of interesting names, as you can see up there. Genesis chapter 10. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Rephan and Togarmuth, Togarma, however you say that. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizram, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Septecha. And the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Be therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kal Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala, that is the principal city. Mizram begot Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Nephtahim, Pathruism, something, Kasluhim, from whom came the Philistines, and Kaphtorim. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite the Arvadite, the Zemurite, and the Hamathite. After the families of the Canaanites were dispersed and the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, then as you go towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages in their lands and in their nations. And children were born to, also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gather, and Mash. Arphaxad begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. To Eber was born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in this, his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Almadad, Shalef, Hazarmavath, Hazar Jira, Hadoram, Uzil, 
Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling place was from Mesha as you go towards Sephar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations in their nations. And from these nations were divided on the earth after the flood. I'm not going to read those all again. So if you didn't get them, look them up. They're in your Bible too. Chapter 10, Genesis. If you're looking for names, again, there's lots of options right there. And you can probably pronounce it however you would like because I don't know if anybody knows. <laughs> this chapter is, thought, is also called the Table of Nations. There's 70 nations thereabouts that are origin, originated here in this chapter 10 of Genesis. Three men, through three men, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the entire world was populated. Why do they have these names in here? I think one of the reasons they have these names in here is because it allows us to see the connection between people. Because in this chapter, we go from Noah to uh, whoever we ended with. In the next chapter, we're going to go from that point to Abraham. And later in Scripture, there's more that takes you from Abraham to David, and then it takes from David, and it takes you all the way to Jesus. So it connects all of these things together. It's there for a reason. I don't always understand why it's there. But God took each of these people or groups of people we are reading about and placed them where he wanted them to be. So they're splitting. It's also thought that possibly this verse happened after the next, or sorry, this chapter happened after the next chapter, chapter 11, because in chapter 11 we're talking about the Tower of Babel when the nations were, div or when the people were divided according to language and, and with some of the wording that it says in here <coughs> about according to their families, according to their languages in their lands, according to their nations, it makes you think that this maybe occurred after the Tower of Babel, which is in chapter 11. Because at, before the Tower of Babel, they all spoke the same language. Well, they all came from the same family. Why wouldn't they speak the same language? But God took them, and he divided them, and he placed them where he wanted. And if you, look at, if you look at that map that was up there, and then you take modern day to put it next to it, it's really interesting. The fourth son of Ham was Canaan. Remember last week we talked about Canaan, or excuse me, Ham was the one that saw his father laying there. And so Noah cursed Canaan, the fourth son of Ham. Canaan then was given the place on this map where today, uh, current day Israel is. Now Ham did have other sons that were in other parts. Um, if you want to throw that back up there for just a second. He had sons that were in other parts, and so the sons of Canaan were the ones that were cursed, and they were, um, we can see where Canaan is. They were in a little section of land, but some of Ham's sons came down into the into Africa, uh, Japheth would have been, if I remember right, would have been up the top, and over here to the left would have been where uh, ha um, Shem's sons would have been. But God divided them. He put them where he wanted them. And I, I, as we're going through these names, I'm trying to figure out what in the world can we get, can we see, can we try to learn 
from what this is happening, from what's going on here. And one thing that came to my mind, I, this, was, this was a difficult week. Because this was, I, I did not know what we was going to do here. I wasn't sure. But God is good, and he brings something, and here's what he gave me to share. Do we embrace where God has placed us, or are we envious of where God has placed somebody else? It says where these people were placed, some of them were on the coast, some of them were in the mountains. They did different things, they lived different places, but do we in our life today embrace where God has placed us, or, we're, or are we continuously envious of where he's placed somebody else? Really easy to do because we may not like where we are and what we have to do. Do we live with a purpose? Do we wander through life unsure of what we are doing? Are we just surviving? Or are we thriving? And I think over the course of life we have seasons of both. Visiting my grandpa, he may not be thriving right now. He's surviving. That's a different scenario because he's, get, he's older. But even when we're younger in life, there may be times in life where we're just hanging on and it's all we can do just to survive. There might be other times in life where we feel like things are going well, the Lord is using us and he's working through us and he is blessing us and he's letting us bless other people and we feel like we're thriving. But you know, it all comes from the same person. It's all because of God. And I'm going to read uh, some verses from Jeremiah. There's a verse, Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, that gets used a lot. But I'm going to read the context of what it is, of where it is. Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read 1 through 14. <clears throat> this is Jeremiah, Jeremiah, excuse me, is writing to the Israel that is in captivity. Jeremiah 29, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, to the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Again, some of these names of cities that we're reading about were established in Genesis chapter 10. So you want to know where a, a, a country came from or a city came from, you look back, there's probably a name attached to that somehow. But this is where all of these nations came from. And so as we go forward in Scripture, it's always referring back to everything started with the sons of Noah. It all came from right there. We are all related to Noah. <clears throat> the letter was sent by the, that's not where I was at. This happened after Jeconia, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of El Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Jemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. They are in captivity. They have been taken into captivity, and the Lord has allowed this because of the way they were living. 
So they are in captivity. This is the letter that's being sent to the people that are in captivity. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And verse 11 is the familiar one. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Do you think the people living there, they had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar, do you think they enjoyed that being there? They enjoyed being captive there? I don't think they enjoyed it. But here's the letter that is sent. Yes, you're in captivity. I understand that. I get that. But it says, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. So what I see there is God allowed them to go there. And it'd be really easy if you're living in a place what you feel like is captivity, which this is what it was for them, to be discouraged and not want to continue on. And sometimes we find ourselves in living our life in places like this. They seem hopeless and it seems like, I, I don't know why we're here. I don't know where we're going from here. Uh, I'm not sure if the Lord is even really still cares what we're doing. But in this instance, God says, no, live. I want you to thrive. I want you to increase. I don't want you to diminish. And then it also says, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. So don't be, trying to re don't be trying to cause trouble. Don't be trying to rile people up or make people upset because if they have peace, you're going to have peace. In other words, you're in captivity. Get used to it. Stay for a while. Make yourself at home. You're going to be there for a while. But how many times in our life we find ourselves in a situation that we don't like where God has placed us. We don't like what he's doing in our life. And we feel like if we could just get out of the situation, if here in this scripture, if we could just get out of captivity and go back to Jerusalem and things could be the way they were again, that's not what God is telling them. Have families, build houses, plant gardens. You're going to be there long enough to get the harvest from your garden, obviously. You may as well enjoy. This is where I put you. For I know the plans that I have for you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We read that a lot in a lot of different settings. But recognize 
the plan of God at that point was for them to be in captivity. Wherever you are now, is that the plan of God for your life? Does he put you in a place that seems difficult? This last week was hard. I don't, I don't want to preach out of Genesis 10. Uh, I, I asked Zach Miller for prayer, and he said he read it through, and he sent me a text back, and he says, I think you should pull pastoral privileges and skip 10 and go to 11. <laughs> That's tempting. But when I said I was going to go through Genesis 1 through 11, 10 comes before 11. But it's here for a reason. It's here for a reason. Are we satisfied? Are we okay with where God has placed us and with what he is asking us to do? Or are we always fighting against him? If we could just be placed where that person is, I could do so much better. And I've probably done that before. There's sure things that look a lot more tempting than what I'm doing. You heard the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, because that's where their septic tank is. <laughs> If we can recognize and embrace where God has put us, do you realize what that does for us? So when I say, are we just, in, um, are we just surviving or are we thriving? I don't know. Let me ask you. Wherever God has you, are you thriving? Or are you just trying to survive until you can get the next assignment, if you want to call it that? Where are we at? What are we doing? How are we living are we living our lives just hoping that we can make it to the next thing? Or are we living our lives recognizing this is where God has me for this time? I may not know why. I not, may not know how. I don't maybe know what the reason is. But I'm going to trust that God knows what's best for me. We don't always have to enjoy it. We don't necessarily have to like it. But we keep in the word. We keep asking the Lord to help us, to guide us, build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat from them, have kids, have grandkids. You're going to be here a while. You may as well make yourself comfortable. And I want you to thrive. I want you to increase while you're there. Because in every place in our life, there are places where we feel like there's no way that we can possibly grow in this situation. Don't ever say that because that's probably where you're going to grow the most. Because God uses different things to grow us. It's amazing to me what he uses to grow us. <clears throat> Are we willing to look beyond how we think things should be? Beyond how we or how I think things should be and acknowledge that God's ways are better? Are we willing to look beyond how I think it should be or how you think it should be and recognize and acknowledge that God's ways are better. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 55. I think I wrote the whole one down. Isaiah chapter 55. The headline right above this chapter says, An Invitation to Abundant Life. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. 
Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David, indeed I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my, are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my Ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. An invitation to abundant life. Can we see it? Can we get a vision for what that might be? It's going to look different for everybody. But we can, can we acknowledge that God's ways are higher than our ways? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do we, we, we say that? We sing that? Do we believe that? And do we live that? That his ways are higher than my ways. Because sometimes I think my way looks pretty blame good. But I really don't have any idea. Because his thoughts are so much higher than mine. We're going to go back to Genesis 10 for a little bit. There's one name that gets the most space in this chapter, and that's Nimrod. You know what Nimrod means? It means rebellion, or rebellious. Why would somebody name their, their kid Nimrod? And I was watching a couple of other things about chapter 10, trying to get some different um, thoughts. And one of the thoughts behind his name is that Nimrod is a son of Canaan. Remember, Canaan is who was cursed by Noah and was going to serve his brothers and all of their families. Name your son Nimrod, meaning rebellious, maybe meaning, I ain't going to serve them. Even though that's the way it had been set up, that's what was going to happen. Nimrod, it says, was a, a mighty uh, hunter. He built several cities. He conquered different places. And when we're going to go in chapter 11, he's kind of the one that spearheads this Tower of Babel that we're going to talk about. Nimrod wasn't necessarily that great of a guy. He's mentioned other times in the Old Testament, but it's usually not in a very good way. 
If you read different spots in the Old Testament where Nimrod is mentioned, it's not a, a positive thing about who Nimrod was. Not really a great guy, but for some reason he gets the most space in chapter 10. He's, mentioned, he's got about three verses, two or three verses right there. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and the resin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the principal city. Some of these cities that you read about right here weren't known for being very good cities. Babel, is that where Babylon came from? Nimrod wasn't really that great of a guy. There aren't any other names that are mentioned more than once in Genesis chapter 10. It's just interesting. It's, it's all names. But there's a reason. Again, like I said, it's to get us from Noah to the next however many generations we're going. And then to get from there to Abraham and to get from Abraham to David and from David to Jesus. Because some people just accept that that's the way it was. Noah started and then pretty soon we have all these nations and this is how we got to Jesus. Well, I mean, that's pretty vague. And yes, we have to take things by faith. But if you want to see how we got to Jesus and what line it came through, it's, it's there. It's here. It's in Scripture. It says it. If you want to look for it, it's there. You can piece it together. You can find the genealogy all the way to Jesus. It's amazing to me reading through some of that, the people that are in that line. But then again, it shouldn't be because we're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace, by the blood of Jesus. So I don't know why that surprises me when different people in Jesus' line were, you know, where did that person come from? They were way off in left field. But yet God still used them. Again, God will use you wherever you're willing to give to him. He'll use it. Are you okay with where you are? Have you ever asked somebody, uh, you meet somebody and you maybe have a, a common ancestor about three generations back, and so then you, you, know, you try to figure out how you're related. I have a cousin that just loves to figure that stuff out. And I, uh, it's a little bit interesting to me, but not that much. <laughs> but you can figure it out. It's, it is kind of interesting. Once you figure it out and somebody can explain it to you, well, you want to figure out we're all related back to Noah. Everything goes back to Noah. Originally it was Adam, but then we started over at the flood, and it goes back to Noah. And you can figure it out. It is interesting if you want to spend the time doing it. I don't really want to. The stage, though, in Genesis 10 is being set for all the events of the Old Testament and ultimately leading to the return of our Savior. Right there, right in Genesis chapter 10, the stage is being set. Eight people saved after the flood. From those eight people, the entire world was populated. And God put people in different places and he allowed them to spread. And we're going to get into next week how he divided their language and changed their race or however all that worked to populate the earth, to go different directions and populate the earth to get to where we are today. This is where it started, right here. Right here. These verses, I think, are here to help us to understand the rest of Scripture 
and show where all the nations came from. Because as you read through the rest of the Old Testament and you read different nations, go back to chapter 10 and you might be able to find out where it came from. Looking at a map like that is very interesting because you can see where they came from and where the countries are, what they are today and what they were then. It's very, very interesting. But I'm going to read uh, one more. This is a longer chapter, but I just felt, I just felt the need to read Hebrews chapter 11 before we stop. Because I was reminded again this week in just seeing um, my grandpa how important faith is. And I'm going to read through Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But, for, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. 
By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured a seeing, as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kings, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the, of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth." And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. All of these things that people went through is mentioned right here because of their faith. But even so, they didn't get to see the end result of their faith. We're living in a time today where maybe we will, maybe we won't see the end result of our faith, but does it change it shouldn't change how we live. We should still have that faith to believe. So to finish up this morning, are we... Let me find it. Do we embrace where God has placed us or are we envious of where he has placed others? Do we have faith, like we were reading in chapter Hebrews 11, do we have the faith to accept that we are where God wants us to be. And that we are willing, are we willing to say, yes, Lord, I want you to use me right where I am. Sometimes difficult to do. Sometimes very difficult to do. Stand up with me if you would. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, even for Genesis chapter 10. I pray, Lord, that you would Help us to be willing to be used right where you have put us. I pray, Lord, that we can have the faith to believe, the faith to follow the things you ask us to do. And Lord, as we live life, I pray that you would help us to remember to pour in your word. Stay in prayer, stay in the word, so that as we get older, we can't help but spill out what is inside. Thank you, Father, for your love this morning. I just pray um, for your direction for this week in the different places that we go, the different people that we 
are in contact with. I pray, Lord, that everyone can share and show your love with other people. We love you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn around, shake somebody's hand. You can be dismissed.